Well, hello everybody and welcome to the inaugural um, Financial Services Wrap-Up Podcast. Um, this is for the month of April 2022. My name's John Ireland. I'm a partner in the Sydney office and practice lead for financial services in Australia. And I'm very pleased to be joined today by my partner, Ray Giblet, who heads up the insurance practice uh, for Australia, and Timothy Chan, who also works in the insurance practice here. Well, we are going to be covering a few of the highlights from the month in our wrap-up, which you'll be able to access through our websites. And just picking out a few of those topics, I'm going to now hand over to Ray and Tim to take us through them. Thanks for that introduction, John. And in relation to insurance, it's been a relatively quiet month after a few years of frenetic activity in relation to regulatory change. So I think many insurers uh, are suffering a bit of fatigue in that regard. They're hoping that things will uh, taper off a little bit um, over the coming year. And certainly uh, April uh, is an indication of that. We're just going to focus on a, a few highlights uh, from the wrap-up. Some of the other matters relate to the financial claim scheme and changes to the FAQs, as well as some changes to some accounting standards that will excite the accountants, but um, we're not going to get into all that detail um, today. Now, firstly, I was just going to look at some of the life insurance statistics. APRA has published uh, the latest claims and dispute statistics uh, up to the end of 2021. They've published them just in April. And there are just a few interesting things to highlight there. Uh, generally, the claims ratios have been fairly steady across most product lines, but particularly in relation to group, the claims ratios have significantly increased, which does indicate the continued uh, difficulty in the group insurance area and uh, the profitability issues that have at times plagued uh, that area. The other issue of note is just in relation to disputes and the number of initial decisions that are ultimately overturned or modified in some way. Uh, up to 60% of initial decisions are generally altered um, before the final resolution of the claim. And up to 20% are often overturned through a more formal dispute resolution process. So that does indicate that there probably is some room for improvement in relation to initial decision-making. I should say that those statistics are relatively steady over time. So it may just be a, a natural consequence of the nature of life insurance claims. And in particular, the fact that new information often comes to light that does require a modification of the initial decision. But maybe there is some room to make sure that before the initial decision is made that all the information is gathered to make sure those decisions are as accurate as possible. And that will benefit both the insureds and insurers in relation to the costs of claims going forward. So just a few things to pick out there. And then the other major aspect we wanted to look at was changes to the prudential regulation in relation to the reinsurance pool for cyclone claims. And in that regard, I'm going to hand over to my colleague, Tim Chan. Thanks, Ray. Some very interesting observations you had there on the life insurance statistics. Always good to have a look at these statistics whenever APRA publishes them. Always something new to learn. In relation to the, uh, the cyclone reinsurance pool, 
I just might just provide some background to our listeners. The Australian government flagged they were going to introduce the cyclone reinsurance pool uh, last year, and the amendments have made their way through Parliament, and implementation is well underway for a start date of 1 July 2022. The purpose of the reinsurance pool um, is to provide reinsurance for cyclone and related flood damage and it's backed by a $10 billion Australian government guarantee covering household strata and small business property insurance policies. So it's similar to um, what we have flood re in the UK. The Australian Reinsurance Pool Corporation, so the ARPC, um, will operate the pool. As part of the implementation, APRA is proposing um, some changes to the prudential framework for general insurers. Because certain general insurers will be required to purchase reinsurance from the ARPC, and some insurers may be able to opt in, APRA is proposing to clarify the treatment of reinsurance recoverables uh, where the insurer purchases reinsurance from the ARPC. And the changes are generally beneficial for general insurers. Um, the proposed changes are to make sure that the reinsurance coverables uh, will not be subject to a capital charge under the relevant prudential standard GPS 116, um, so that the treatment of those recoverables is equivalent to um, recognition of an Australian government guarantee. So this reduces the um, regulatory capital burden that general insurers um, will need to bear and really recognises the risk transfer that's taking place to the Australian government-backed cyclone reinsurance pool. So that's really just the um, an update on the cyclone reinsurance pool for this month. And um, I'll hand back over to John. Thanks very much, Ray and Tim. Um, well, from, from my part, I was going to call out um, three key publications for the month, one from each of the ASX, APRA and ASIC. Um, so firstly, on ASX's side, they have issued uh, a consultation paper focusing on enhancing its products offering. Uh, so this paper is actually part of a two-stage consultation process. Um, but with this first phase, ASX has said it's targeted towards ensuring that its investment product offering is properly supported. So that meaning by clear and consistent rule framework to safeguard investors' interests. But also the intent is to provide issuers with a degree of flexibility in terms of product innovation and how they get products to market. So ASX has asked for submissions in the consultation paper. And, and that's actually covering quite a broad range of related policy issues. And um, the topics include emission requirements and processes, naming conventions, permitted investments, liquidity support, and also improvements in terms of how investors um, have access to information, among a, among a bunch of other topics. So those that are interested in making submissions have up till the 24th of June. And if you're interested in having a look at the consultation paper, it's available on ASX's website. Now, secondly, uh, in terms of um, uh, APRA world, uh, APRA has written a letter to all regulated entities um, setting out its um, initial risk management expectations, where those entities are engaged in um, activities related to crypto assets. So um, 
this is obviously quite a key area and ASIC has, uh, APRA has made a particular point around its expectation that regulated entities uh, will adopt a prudent approach if they're engaging in crypto related activities. So in that sense, entities are expected to ensure that any risks are well understood uh, and are well managed before launching material new initiatives. From APRA's perspective, the sorts of activities that they're talking about here are investment into crypto, lending linked with crypto, issuance of crypto assets, and providing associated types of services. But as well as those, APRA has noted the scenario where entities might develop new sort of types of product offerings, and whether investing with in or with a partner uh, that may be a technology um, provider or other top of corporate. So there's three key takeaways for regulated entities. Um, firstly, they need to ensure their conduct's appropriate, um, that they conduct appropriate due diligence and also undertake comprehensive risk assessments before engaging in crypto-related activities. Um, secondly, entities need to consider APRA outsourcing standards when they're relying on third parties involved with crypto. And thirdly, Entities need to apply robust risk management controls with clear accountabilities and relevant board reporting. Um, there was also a tip of the hat in the letter to uh, the conduct and disclosure regulation, which is administered by ASIC. Now, in terms of next steps, APRA did mention in the letter that also it will be uh, in more of the medium term working to develop a, a sort of longer term prudential framework for crypto assets. And they'll actually be working with international regulators um, to do that. Now, um, thirdly and finally, I was just going to call out the, um, the publication of ASIC's findings following uh, a surveillance of superannuation trustees. Um, this particular surveillance exercise from ASIC focused on um, some pretty significant deficiencies in trustees' conflicts management arrangements when it relates to investment switching. So ASIC surveillance indicated that there was a lack of strong oversight to prevent the potential misuse of price-sensitive information by directors and senior executives. And happily, in response to ASIC's concerns, it found that super trustees have taken action and they, they called out four key areas for that. Um, firstly, the trustees um, were found to have addressed deficiencies through updating or establishing policies. Secondly, um, they found an increased board level engagement to enhance board oversight, input and direction. Thirdly, providing staff with better internal communication and training on policies and associated obligations. And fourthly, through independent reviews of conflicts management frameworks. So in terms of um, the month, that rounds out my key highlights uh, covering those three areas. And um, I'll just um, finish by thanking my colleagues, Ray and Tim, for their contributions to the inaugural podcast for the financial services wrap up for Australia. We're very pleased to have had your attention and look forward to speaking to you next month.